But we want to welcome you all here. I know some of you are here for the baptism. We, we pray that this would be a blessed time that you're visiting with us. And we're looking forward to our time of fellowship afterwards over in the fellowship hall. We encourage you to stay for that. Have lots of uh, ladies have been working hard to create a nice lunch for us. And uh, we're just uh, praying that uh, our time together this morning would be a blessing to you as you're visiting with us. But we find ourselves in the book of 1 Corinthians. And here in our church, we teach through books of the Bible. So we don't just do topical things. We teach through books of the Bible. So right now we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament. And we've been talking about the resurrected body. And not just the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also our own resurrected body. One day, uh, we will breathe our last breath and we will... um, Go to the grave, the Bible says. Our body will quit. Our brain will cease. Our heart will stop pumping. And we will be, as physicians say, we will be dead. Um, Well, what happens after that? And that's what we've been talking about. So you're kind of coming in on the tail end of this. So if you're interested in what else we said, you can go on the church app and download the messages for yourself. But we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I just want to read our text for us this morning, beginning in verse 35. And uh, it's our tradition here, when we read the Word of God, we all stand. So I'd ask if you could stand and follow along in your Bibles as I read our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 35. The Apostle Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans... Another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. Verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam speaking of Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you to bless it to our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've been talking about the resurrection, and the Bible says that we are awaiting our resurrected body. It tells us that 
we're groaning daily. All creation is groaning. And Christ attested to the promise of the resurrection. In John 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then he says this, And I will raise him up on the last day. That's what Jesus Christ promised those who commit their lives to following him. And so we found up until our, our study so far that we, we have seen that God does promise us a resurrected body one day. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that, to get rid of this thing and get something fresh, get something that will be eternal, something that you won't have the aches and the pains and the poor eyesight and bad hearing and everything else will be complete. And so last week, we looked at the first two points of our outline. We said, first of all, in relationship to our present body, the resurrected body, will, it's going to make us the same person. It's going to make us the same person. You're not going to be anybody different than what you are right now in your resurrected body, minus the sinful tendencies you have. All the selfishness, all the self-centeredness, all the sin will be gone. But in your resurrected body, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, one day you will be raised in newness of life. And when that happens, you will have a brand new body, but you'll be the same person. In heaven, we're not all going to be clones, little angels with wings or something. And, and we talked about how for that to happen, there has to be a requirement of death. He talks about that in verse 36. He says, what you sow does not come unless it dies. And we talked about the idea of having a seed. The seed isn't going to give life unless it dies. It's put in the ground, it dies, and, it, and then it flourishes. And then the reaping of what is sown, the resource from which our new bodies come, it says God will give us a body. Because this body is going to be what? It's going to be dust. It's going to be burnt up or it's going to go back to the earth. And so the reason behind it there in verse 38, he tells us, he says, because God has chosen this. We serve a God who's all powerful. And if God wants to do it this way, trust me, he can. And he says, in relationship to your own body, each kind of seed, its own body. So he points out to us that our relationship, the resurrected relation body will be in relationship to our present body, will be the same person. But secondly, we're going to be a different person. And this was a little confusing because first of all, we said we're going to be the same person. I think our personality, everything will be the same, but we're going to be a different person. And that's where he says there in verses 39 to 41, he says, first of all, the importance of a basic principle, not all flesh is the same. We don't have the same flesh as a bird or a dog or a cat. We're different. We're humans. And then he gives the breakdown there of physical creatures. And he says, humans, fish, beasts, birds. But there's one common thing that they all have in common. They all kind of come after one another. Birds give life to birds. Fish don't come from birds. Okay? Bees, cattle don't come from fish. Humans don't come from monkeys. Two different things. Now, you can disagree with that, but that's what the Bible teaches. And we went into that. And then he talked about the, not just the physical creatures, but he's talked about the material creation in verse 41. He talks about the sun and the moon and the stars. And we talked about how they all differ in glory. You know, there's not any two stars alike. They're all different. 
It's amazing. It's like snowflakes. Or just like, guess what? Humans. <laughs> We're all different. We can look around the room and see everybody's different. Not one of us is the same. Even if you're an identical twin here today, you're, you're still different. You're a different person. Maybe in personality. But what's the one common denominator? We all have this, it says the same kind. Once again, the same glory. But in verse 40 it says, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. In other words, it means it's a different kind. There's something different about our glorified body when we receive it. Even though we're going to be the same person. So we'll be the same person, but we're going to be different. Now the third thing, and this is where we left off last week, and you can see it there in your outline, it's realities make you a greater person. Makes you a greater person. Um, first, the relationship to your present body makes you the same person. It's recreation makes you a different person. But now it's realities. The realities of what we'll have when we are raised from the dead one day will make us a greater person. If you stop and you look at verses 42 to 44, it talks about the characteristics of our present body. What are some of the characteristics of our, of our present body? And this is kind of depressing, to be honest with you. When I was studying this this past week, I got a little kind of unnerved about the whole thing, thinking, wow, this isn't good news. This is dismal news. I want to prepare you. Don't get depressed. Okay, as we go through this, there's, there's hope at the end, but, you know, there's something better coming, but we've got to work our way through the text here. But right now, we've got to look at this text, and it's going to be a little bit depressing. I'll just be real honest with you. The characteristics of our own, of our present body in verse 42, it says there clearly that it is, it is sown. It is sown. And once again, that Greek word talks about the idea of a sperm and an egg, a sperm and a seed. It's used 57 times in the Bible. It's sown. Well, what, what is sown? The seed contains the following. You know, how is the, the seed sown? It's a, it's a work of genetics. It's amazing how God has created our bodies to reproduce. But what is the result of that? Whether it's an animal, whether it's a fish, whether it's a bird, or what? Whether even if it's a human being, what is the result? Well, the first thing he points out here is that it is sown as what? It says perishable. It's perishable. Now, this doesn't mean annihilation. It's not talking about sin. It's talking about decay. It's talking about something, you know, when you go to the store and you buy the uh, fruits or vegetables and you set them on your counter and they sit there for too long. What happens? They start to perish, right? Why? Because they're perishable goods. They grow all that nice little warm fuzzy stuff all over them and then you look at it and you go, I need that and you throw it out. Okay, why? Because it's perishable. Well, Paul talked about, in the New Testament, running the Christian race. He used that allegory, that's that illustration of, of us as Christians living our lives. He related it to an athlete running a race. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, For every athlete exercises self-control in all things. He says they do it to receive a perishable crown 
a perishable crown. What's he talking about? He's talking about in the games there at, at Corinth, they would have big coliseums filled with, with uh, athletes, and they would come in, the Olympic Games, and they would, they would run races, and they would wrestle, and they would do all kinds of things. And all the Roman rulers would be sitting up there, and they'd be watching, and they'd have, be wearing their crowns of gold and everything. And as the athletes, the ones that were doing all the hard work, what did they get if they won? They got a silly little crown of thorns, really. A crown of, of laurel crown, it was called, of twigs. And they put it on their head. And wow, congratulations. You just won. Big deal. You take the thing home, the leaves dry out. It becomes something you'd burn up. You'd throw out. Why? Because it's perishable. That's what he's talking about. But he says, but we do it for an imperishable crown. So he's pointing out very clearly that our body is relating to something that is perishable. It's going to decay. It's going to fall apart. Amen? I mean, we're falling apart as we speak. Every day, every moment, every second, you're getting closer and closer to your body breathing its last. And that word is the same word here, perishable, that's used here in our text. Now, I don't want you to get discouraged here. I mean, don't get upset that you're decaying, but it's the truth. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing the text honor if I didn't tell you that. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, Paul points this out. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from his own flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The basic idea is that we're temporary. We're not here for eternity. We're here for a temporary basis. Our bodies are giving out. They will not last. They aren't eternal, this physical body. That should give some encouragement to us. You know, yeah, we're going to wear out. We we need to stop being so self-absorbed with our own bodies. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of them. We shouldn't try to be healthy. The Bible also says that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we should do the best to keep it in the best working order that you can. But the next time you look in the mirror, just look at yourself and say, you know what? You're falling apart. You're not the same person I saw 20 years ago. Because you know what? That's the truth. And sometimes the best way to deal with reality is to just embrace the truth. It's funny. Sometimes, you know, people, you know, they're in their 50s or 60s or 70s and they're trying to look like they're 20. It ain't going to happen. I don't care what kind of surgeries you have or what kind of supplements you take. This body is decaying. It's going downhill. Can I have an amen? I mean, do you feel that every morning when you get out of bed? Wow, what was that pain? You know, what was that going on? And and what I'm sharing with you, if it feels a little unnatural, it's because we don't hear this. In our society, we hear just the the opposite. They want you to believe that somehow, you know, all the supplements that you're going to buy and everything, boy, it's just going to do a miracle in your life and you're just going to be not going to age. I mean, there are people that actually specialize in selling products and devices and everything. Machines that will freeze you. You know, all this stuff, thinking somehow they're going to preserve this body. It won't happen. And so he says that it's perishable. It's perishable. And that's basically 
the genetic result. But it's also, secondly here, it, it, it points out dishonor. Dishonor. There's something about our bodies that are sown in dishonor. It's referring to something that is common. That's the word. It's a little hard to understand when you read that at first. You look at it and you go, what does that mean? It's sown in perishable. And then verse 43, it's sown in dishonor. What has the idea that something that is common in contrast to something that is valuable. In Romans 9, it talks about a potter who's working with clay. And it says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So you have a potter who can, you know what? He can create a beautiful vase that you put and display in your home and everybody comes by and goes, wow, that's so beautiful. But you know what? That same potter out of the same piece of clay can make something that's very common. A cup or something that you would just use. And if it cracks, you just throw it out and get another one. It's very common. It speaks of that in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. He says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use. That's the same word. And some for dishonorable use. I mean, I'm sure we all have two kinds of dinnerware in our, in our homes. And, you know, some, some of it's fine china. And you don't just, you know, eat your Cheerios every morning out of your fine china bowl. No, you, you eat it out of the everyday normal use bowl. But if you have your special guests come over, then what do you do? You break out the fine china. You know, those of some of you who have children, you probably don't break out the fine china at all. I don't blame you. But, you know, that's, that's part of the deal. And so the fact is, is that our body is decaying. And you know what? What he's saying is it's, it's very common. Everybody is, is the same. It's, it's, not, it's not something that's to be valuable to us, even though we think it is. We think somehow it means so much to us that we forget that, you know what? When we give up this tent, the Bible refers it to, not a house, it's a tent. It's something temporary that you live in for a period of time until God calls you to be home with him. But we want to take care of it, but at the same time, we don't want it to become obsessed with it to the point that it distracts us from the fact that it is decaying. And there's not a whole lot of things that we're going to be able to do to, to change that. We just need to be reminded of that. Second, thirdly here, the third thing it says is not only is it sown perishably, but it's sown in dishonor. But then it says it's sown in weakness. It's sown in weakness. What does this word mean? This word means that the older you get, and I'm sure you see it every day, your body loses its ability to recover. You know, I mean, when I was younger, I used to be able to go out and do things You know, you could work in the woods all day, cutting down trees or whatever, and then go home and and be out late at night eating with friends or whatever. Now, I mean, you know, your body feels it. And and you're ready for bed at 8 o'clock. At least I am sometimes. You know why? Because you're growing weaker. And I told you this is going to be a little disappointing, but hold on. The good news is coming, so just hang in there. I don't want you to get discouraged. But our body is weak. The word in the original language here means absolutely no strength. No strength. 
It's the same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, when he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Then he says this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. The flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. It actually means helpless. No strength whatsoever. Your physical body is is losing its ability to sustain all of its properties. I mean, that's why we go to the doctor, right? We go to the doctor and we say, you know, boy, I, I got this pain in my back or my knee or, you know, help me out, doc. Why? Because our body isn't able to recover like it used to be. And you go to the doctor and they say, oh, you know, we can fix that. Here, take this pill or here, let me give you a shot of this. Or, oh, you know what? Your hip shot. We just got to replace the whole hip or the whole knee. I mean, it's amazing what they can do in the medical field. But you know what? It's not going to stop the inevitable. In the end, your body is going to decay. Your body is going to give up its life. One day, you will meet death because everybody has an appointment with death. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. The goal is to get through the judgment. To understand that one day, whether you believe in Christ now or not, it's irrelevant. One day you will stand before God. You'll be standing before your creator. And you will face him in judgment. For your sins. And you say, well, I don't have any sins. Well... You just did because you lied. (laughs) Worse than that, you lied in church. We've all told sins. We've all probably taken things that are not ours, irrespective of its value at one point in life. We've all had thoughts that are not right. We've all used God's name in vain to some extent. We've We've all sinned before a holy God is what my point is. We can't sit here and say, oh, no, I'm a good person. I'm I'm going to get to heaven because of my goodness. No, you won't. Because one day you will face God in judgment. And Matthew chapter 7 points this out. He says there's a lot of people, even within churches, that are going to stand before God, and they're going to say before the Lord, hey, Lord, haven't I done this? Haven't I cast out demons? Haven't I healed the sick? Haven't I given to the poor? Haven't I done all these things? And what is Jesus going to say to them? He's going to turn to them, and he's going to say, you know what? I never, ever knew you. Wow. That's, that's tragic. Very tragic. And we need to be sure that we know that our faith is in the right thing. It's not in a church. It's not in this church or any other church. It's not an individual. It's in what? The work of Christ. It's in what God has provided for us through his sacrifice on the cross. So we can give you all kind of hip replacements and knee replacements and everything to try to make you last forever. But in the end, you're losing your ability to recover. And, you know, sometimes it hurts when people tell you that. Sometimes people say, you know, Pastor, you need to slow down. You're not, you're not as young as you used to be. And what do I do? I dig in even more, try to prove that I still am, and then I pay for it. Right? I mean, you just, we aren't as young as we used to be. We slow down. 
You can even ask the people in this church that have been here since I first came. When I first came, a lot of the older people, the the major complaint, you need to slow down. Especially when you're speaking to us. Because we can't understand anything you're saying because you're talking a million miles an hour. And I was a young pastor. I was excited to be here and everything. And I probably did talk way, way, way too fast. But I can tell I've slowed down a little bit. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. But here's the good news. Even though we're weak, Romans chapter 5 verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, that's the word there, at the right time, what's it say? Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. This was purposed in heaven before the ages. While we were still weak, Christ died at the right time. He died for me. He died for you. And how do you know God? You know God through the death of Christ. You come to Christ and you say, God, you know what? I feel the weight of my sin. I recognize that I've done things wrong in my life that are not honoring to you. And as a result of that, I don't want to face you on judgment day. So I'm going to put my faith and trust in the cross and what Christ has done for me. I'm not going to try to do things to please you. I'm going to trust in what was done for me. And I guarantee you, if you do that, if you go to God and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me. Even in my unbelief, God will meet you right where you're at. And he'll give you that faith that you need to believe in his son. Well, the next thing here, he talks about a natural body. A natural body. It's not only perishable. It's not only sown in dishonor. It's not only sown in weakness, but it's also a natural body. What does this word mean? You know, everybody talks about natural today. Do they not? I mean, you have organic this and natural food and natural this and natural. Everybody wants natural stuff. And so we're here, the word is sukikos, which means it's used six times in the New Testament. And that word natural, it's, it's where we get the word from our, our personality. It's speaking of our, of our, of our soul, sukikos. It has nothing to do with our belief or our unbelief, but it has to do with your mind, your will, your emotions, all that. And how your physical body affects that, is, is react, reacts to that and responds to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says this, the natural man, that's the word, the natural man, the, the, the soul of man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. James chapter 3 verse 15 says this, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So you have a a natural person that is removed from God, but then we're going to get into the spiritual person because we also have a spiritual side. But he says our, our bodies are natural. And we need to acknowledge that. Well, look at the changes that we will experience in verses 42 to 40. And these are kind of a a list of contrasts. We've gone through the negative, so the negative's gone. Okay, now we're going to turn to the positive. So hopefully this puts a smile on your face. Because it says in verse 42, we were raised in what? 
Not just we're sown imperishable, but we're raised in our resurrected body in something that is what? Imperishable. Imperishable. In other words, it's the opposite. It never decays. It lasts forever. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 and, 40 and 23, it says, to an inheritance that is imperishable. That's what he calls us to. That's that word, imperishable. Undefined undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then in verse 23, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of what? Imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. This word is actually even used of of God himself in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, when it says, they exchange the glory of the immortal God. There is that word, imperishable God. It means that God never perishes. God never ceases to exist. He's eternal. And guess what? Our resurrected body will be eternal. I mean, what a glorious thing that will be. We will be in an imperishable state. Our body will not be decaying any longer. But then he says the opposite of of dishonor there. He, he, He talks about it being raised in glory in verse 43. That word glory speaks of something that has great value, has great beauty. This will be our, our resurrected state. This will be our eternal body. The second contrast has to do with value, has to do with potential, you might say. Because at the fall, what happened? When, when Adam and Eve fell, man's potential for pleasing and serving God was radically reduced. I mean, you're talking about a couple that used to walk with God daily. And as soon as they sinned, as soon as they listened to the enemy, Satan, the snake, and ate the fruit of the tree, whatever it was, they disobeyed God. And sin filled their hearts. And everything about them changed. Everything changed. Not only his mind and his spirit, but also his body became immeasurable less value doing what is God has designed it to do. I mean, Adam and Eve were created perfect in the eyes of God. And that's what people are striving for today. They're striving for perfection. So you look at pictures of people and you, you, you can tell, well, you know what? They don't really look like that. They've been what? Photoshopped is the word, right? They, they take an image of somebody and they, they make them look beautiful. But then you look at them in real person, you're like, wow, is that even the same person? Okay? Or we put things on our body, faces, and, and we put stuff on our face, makeup and stuff. Why? To hide what's really happening. We're decaying. To make it look different. Someone asked Jay Vernon McGee one time if it was wrong for women to wear makeup. You know, kind of being legalistic about it, which, by the way, we're not. And I'll say the same thing he said. He said, man, if you need it, pile it on. I mean, that's what his, that's what his answer was. Now, that may not be very politically correct, but it's the truth. You know, the good thing about heaven is there's not going to be any ugly people there. We're all going to be raised in glory, which is a beautiful thing. And we need to be reminded of that. Colossians Chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him, guess what? In glory. In glory. Or 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, 
He exhorts the elders among you as a fellow elder, witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. We're not there yet. Our bodies are still in a fallen state. Or verse 10 of 1 Peter 5. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. I mean, what a, what a thing to look forward to, that we will be raised glorious in Christ. Well, not just that, but also, he says, it's sown in weakness. What's the opposite of that? We're going to have power, the opposite of weakness. Incredible power in our resurrected bodies. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, Paul says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? In other words, you can't even measure the power of God. According to the working, working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Or in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, we love this verse now. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than we would ever even ask or think according to the what? Power that is at work in us as believers. The very power of God is working within us to renew us day by day. Even though our outward physical self is decaying. That's why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. If you're looking for power today in your life to overcome fears, to overcome habits, to overcome anything, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Well, it's not only just raised in power, but also he says there at the end, he says it is sown a natural body. We talked about that, but it's raised a spiritual body. Pneumatikos is the word in the original language. It's used 26 times. And what does it mean? It means a body controlled by the spirit, not the soul. So when we have our resurrected body, we're not going to be controlled by things like our emotions and all of the negative things that we see in our, in our own lives, our own desires and everything else. Not all that will be gone. All the sin will be gone. And we'll be controlled only by the spirit. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. You know? I mean, you're not going to be getting angry anymore. You're not going to be having wrongful thoughts towards someone. You're not going to be envious or prideful or jealous. All that's going to be left behind. And in heaven, we will have a spiritual body. Now, what's interesting is you see the contrast here in verses 45 to 47 between these, these two, the physical and the spiritual. And this is kind of hard to understand, but it's, it's pretty, pretty simple if you, can, if you can grasp it. He says, the first, at, the first man, Adam, that's what that word means. Adam means man. That's why he was called Adam. It says he became a living being. He became a living being. We know that to be true because it says in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man out of what? Out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. He didn't do that with all the animals. He did it with us. We're different. 
We have a soul. We're a living being. And so we want to understand, well, what does this mean? Well, it talks about the, the sus, substance, substance from which we, we became, he says, became, ginomai. It just, God created us. He gave it to us. He gave us that, that living soul that we have within us. But then he contrasts that with the last Adam. Well, who's the last Adam? That's Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about last as far as like a, a sequence, you know, first and last. But he, he's saying here, this is, this is the, Jesus Christ is who he's speaking of, the last Adam. And what did he do? He became a life-giving spirit. When Christ came on this earth, he left heaven. He took on a human body. We know that is the incarnation. And when he lived here for 30-some years on this earth, he lived a life that was perfect in every way. He was sinless. And you say, well, why did God have to take on a human body? Because God in his understanding of the sacrificial system said, well, I need a sacrifice for Adam's sin and for the sin of mankind. They can't die for their own sin because they're not perfect people. They're imperfect people. I need somebody who's perfect to die for them in their place. It's called substitutionary atonement. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God doesn't expect me to go die on a cross somewhere for my own sins because it wouldn't do any good. Why? Because I am not perfect. I have falls and failures and sins each and every day. So even if I did die on a cross, it wouldn't do any good because I'm not a perfect sacrifice. And that's what God demands. And so what did God do? He said, you know what? I'm going to send Jesus down to earth. He's going to take on a human body and he's going to be the God man. The God man. 100% God, but 100% human. And the reason he had to do that is because that God man who lived a perfect life for 30 some years, at the appropriate time, he went to the cross by his own choice in obedience to the father and the reason he did that is because someone had to sacrifice for our sins and so he went to the cross and he gave up his physical life remember when he hung on the cross probably know this when you go to church at easter time you hear this all the time you know the last words of christ it is what it is finished he wasn't saying oh wow i lost the bat this is over no it was the beginning for him but it was the end of his suffering. And that's so important to understand. Because you know what? I grew up in the Catholic Church and for years I believed that, hey, the more I do, the harder I work, the holier I try to be, somehow God is going to rain down favor on me if I just go to Mass enough or if I just take enough communion cups or go to confession enough. And what was I trying to do? I was trying to work for something that I, was unattainable. Because God literally laughs when we try to please him out of our own Good works. That will never happen. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it says our good works are like filthy rags. Menstrual rags is the idea to be very graphic. That's exactly what he's talking about. Something you would just throw away. You wouldn't want to reuse something like that. And that's what God thinks of our, our good works when we try to do them to earn his grace. But the good, good news is that we don't have to do that. 
Because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he lived and he died a perfect life. And then he went to the cross and he, when he died, what happened? He said, it is finished. The sacrifice is over. And three days later, after he was laid in the tomb, the Bible says very clearly that he was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that's fine. You don't have to believe it. It doesn't mean it's not true. So you, you have to stop and you have to realize that, you know what? There are certain truths that are beyond our comprehension. So the first Adam became a living being. The second Adam became a life-giving spirit, that being Jesus Christ. And he talks about the sequence here. You have to have the natural before you have the spiritual. That's why we're born naturally. And by the way, whether you're in Christ or not, you'll still be raised from the dead. Even those who are not Christians will be raised from the dead. The only difference is, is when you know Christ, you're guaranteed to be with Christ in heaven for all eternity, enjoying the blessings and riches of being in his presence for all eternity. We're not talking a year. We're not talking 10,000 years. We're not talking 100,000 years. We're talking for all eternity. You will be in his presence if you trust in Christ. However, if you don't trust in Christ and you die, your body will still be raised from the dead one day. The only difference is it will not be raised to a place to go to heaven. It will be raised and will incur the judgment and wrath of God for all eternity in hell. You will still have a resurrected body. But you will be under the wrath of God in hell because you were unwilling Put your faith, your trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so the sequence is you're born naturally, but then you're also born spiritually. You know, you can't be born again if you're not born naturally. Well, where does this come from? Where's the source? The first man, it says there, was from the earth. That's not globe. It's not talking about the physical. It's talking about dust. It's talking about dirt. We are, we are dust. You hear this all the time when you go to a funeral, right? Dust you came, dust you returned. I don't remember a whole lot about high school chemistry, and I may have it wrong, but I think there's 16 elements, earthly elements in dirt. And when you examine the human body, guess what? There's 16 basic elements <laughs> that make up the human body. Just ind- indicating that, you know what? You're going to go back to what you became, what you came from. You're going back to dust. You're going back to the dirt. But look at the second man here. He wasn't from the earth. It says he was from heaven. From heaven. In John 3.31, it says, He who comes from above is above all. Speaking of Christ. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. When Jesus Christ came from heaven to this earth... God declared him Lord of all. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship, those who have trusted Christ, those who are in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21 it says this, Who will transform our lowly body, this body, into what? 
to be like his glorious body. That's what we have to look forward to. We will have a body that's like Christ's resurrected body. Our new bodies, and this is kind of concluding where we're going today, will reflect their divine origin. As in the man of heaven, those who are also of of heaven. See, when you come to Christ, you're not just going to, in your resurrected body, you're not just patching up your hurts and your pains. You know, you're not just slapping some paint on. You're going to have a brand new body, something that God creates from the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says we have a building from God, a, a body from God, a house. It's not a tent anymore. It's a house, not made with hands because it's eternal in the heavens. That's what we have to look forward to. We're no longer going to be just from this earth, but we're going to be from heaven. And it says the, there the likeness is a, is a re- resemblance. If somebody looks like somebody, they resemble somebody. But then it talks about an image. It says that we, verse 49, we sh- just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who's the man of heaven? Christ. What does that word image mean? It means when you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see an image of yourself. If the mirror is clean. And it's not a defective mirror, like the kind at the carnival, you know, that make you look all weird. But if it's, a, if it's a genuine mirror, you're going to see an exact reproduction of what you look like. That's why some people, they don't like to be in front of a camera. They don't like to be in front of mirrors. They don't like the way they look. Other people, you can't get them away from the mirrors. You know? And it's the same way, by the way. I mean, some people, you know, they, they'll ask me once in a while, do you ever listen to your messages? I say, only to edit them. <laughs> Why? I don't sound like that way my voice sounds. Very seldom people are like, oh, yeah, I listen. I listen to my messages all the time. My tone is just so great. You know, most people are very critical of their own voice, of, of what they do. I mean, you'd have to be pretty egocentric to just, you know, go on and on and on about yourself that way. But it's saying here that we will have an exact reproduction of what the Lord had in his glorified state. Not just a drawing. A drawing is somebody that's you know, it's just a simple likeness of somebody, a stick figure. No, we're going to have the exact image. Now, this is going to be incredible when we get to that point. We will bear the image of that heavenly body. We will resemble our Lord's resurrected body. What happened in our Lord's resurrected body? Well, a couple things. We're told in the New Testament that in his resurrected body, he actually was able to walk through a door without opening it. He just appeared in a room, walked through the wall. So in our glorified state, somehow (laughs) we're able to do things like that, which is going to be kind of cool. I mean, if you think about it. Um, I'll never forget one time we were going somewhere and the folks with us, you know, we were, I think it was in San Francisco and we're heading into this building and it had glass doors and the doors were so clean. Okay. They ran right into the door. Just, 
I did it one time and went right through the screen door of somebody's house in our church, tore the whole door down. Um, we're not going to have to worry about doing those kind of stupid things when we have our resurrected body. Um, how that happens, I don't know, but it, it, we're going to have some interesting changes going on. So you don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Secondly, his resurrected body, guess what? It had flesh and bones. Sometimes people think, oh, in heaven we're just going to be little angels sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That, doesn't, that sounds boring to me, frankly. I mean, for all the eternity? Are you kidding me? You know, no, we're going to be working in heaven. We're going to have things to do. We're going to be certain things that are going to be entrusted to us. But we're going to have a body. We're going to have flesh and bones. They're going to be glorified, but we're going to have flesh and bones. And the reason I say that is, what did Jesus have in his glorified state? Remember doubting Thomas? Remember he said, how do I know? Hey, put your hand in my wounds. Put your hand in my side. His body was real. It was a body of flesh and bones. Yet glorified, and it's going to last forever. And this, the last thing here, is, is probably the best thing in the glorified state. What did Jesus do after he was raised from the dead? He ate food. He ate food. In his glorified body, he actually ate food. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that. Think about it. I mean, you can eat all you want. You're not going to get fat. You're not going to get cholesterol. You can eat whatever you want, as much as you want. I mean, we're going to pork out in glory. Praise God, you know, no more diets, no more worrying about doctors, you know, lab tests and everything. I mean, we're going to eat some food in a little bit here, a couple minutes. I'm sure you're looking forward to it. Shut up, pastor, we want to go eat. Well, we got to do the baptism first, but we'll get to that. But it's important that we realize that, you know what? In the end, God has a purpose. He has a plan for all of us. And that purpose is to know him in a personal way. And that's what he's done. He's come to earth through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he lived a life here on earth, a perfect life. He gave up his life willingly on a cross, a cruel death. I mean, we've all, I don't need to recount his death, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that just happened real quick. It was agony. It was horrible. If you know anything about how they crucified people, it's something, you know, boy, okay, I've heard too much. He went through that physically. Even though he was God, he felt all the physical pain because he was 100% God, 100% human. And so when he died on the cross, he died for you, he died for me. And you know what? He wants us to trust in that sacrifice. You know, if you're sitting here today and you're trusting in your own goodness, you're trusting in your own religion, you're trusting in whatever, stop it. Stop it. I encourage you to look to the cross. Look to Christ. He's the only one. The Bible says he's the only mediator, the only go-between between God and man. It's not a church. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. It's not an imam. It's not anybody like that. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came and he lived a life and he died. And not only that, but on the third day, the Bible says that God rose him victorious, brought him back to life in a, in a, in a glorified state. Brought him back to life, victorious over sin and death. So you know what? Yeah, our body's decaying, but you know what? I'm not worried about it. I mean, when I give up my last breath, guess what? In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, guess where I'm at? The Bible says to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. 
You know, and I think there's going to be a day coming when, you know, we all are going to have to face that. To be honest with ourselves and say, you know, you know what, this body is decaying. But that's okay. Because God promises something far greater for all eternity for those that know the Lord as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for our time this morning in your word. Thank you for Paul's words that so clearly point out for us what we have to look forward to um, in our glorified state. And Lord, I pray for each soul that's here this morning, Father, and each one that's represented here, that, Lord, um, we ask that uh, more than anything, the truth of your word would penetrate the hearts and minds of everyone here. And, Father, that you would show us your love for us, your grace that you've extended to us through Christ. And, Father, that we simply need to turn from ourselves and recognize our sin and turn to the Savior, turn to Christ, and acknowledge his sacrifice on our behalf. Lord, we know that he willingly gave up his life for ours. That doesn't happen too often. And so, Father, we pray that anyone here who's looking for hope who's looking for forgiveness of sin, they wouldn't turn to this church or any other church, but, Lord, they would turn to you, Lord of lords, King of kings. Cry cry out to the Lord, Father, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to put my faith, my trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins. That's a prayer that he will answer if it's prayed from a sincere heart. And so, Lord, we look forward to, as believers, our glorified body and our time with you, but... We're still here on this earth, and we pray that the gospel message would go out loudly and boldly, not just from this pulpit, not just from our lips, but from our lives, that people would see something different in us. Even with all the struggles our country's going through and our society's going through, Lord, we pray that you would draw hearts to Christ as only you can and make it very evident to people that they need Christ more than anything. Because in the end, that's the only thing that really matters. So, Father, we thank you. We pray that you would just bless the, the baptism now and our, our closing song together and then the baptism. And just pray that you would uh, uh, bless our time across the way as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.